Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hi, this is Mark Hirschberg, the author of The Career Toolkit. If you want to become a stronger networker and create better, stronger relationships, be sure to listen to the Build Your Network podcast with Travis Chappell. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Mark Hirschberg. Mark is the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. Educated at MIT, Mark has spent his career launching and fixing new ventures at startups, Fortune 500s, and academia. He's developed new software languages, online marketplaces, new authentication systems, and tracked criminals and terrorists on the dark web. Mark helped create the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program, MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he's taught for 20 years. Mark also serves on the boards of nonprofits, Techie Youth, and Plant a Million Corals. Guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation with Mark. I uh, can't wait to jump into that. But first, really quickly, if you are a six or seven figure entrepreneur and you know the benefits of podcasting and what they could potentially do for your business, for your credibility, for your brand, for your recognition, all those other things, if you just haven't jumped into it yet, then maybe you should consider getting going through our private coaching program. Uh, we teach entrepreneurs how to build profitable podcasts. You can head over to travischapel.com slash coaching. There's a quick application there. 
uh, to apply to see if you might be a good fit for us to help you uh, get the podcast off the ground so that you can focus on the things that you're good at, which is running your business. And then we can focus on what we're good at, which is building profitable podcasts. That's travischappell.com slash coaching. Mark, how's it going, man? Thanks so much for taking the time to join me on the show. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy to, happy to. So I want to take it back first, okay? Because you've done some amazing things in your career and uh, we're definitely going to talk about a few of those things, but I always find that it resonates with the people who are listening a little bit better if we can kind of rewind the clock, provide a little bit of context into how you got to where you are now. So let's say 10-year-old, 11-year-old Mark Hirschberg, set the scene for us. You know, where did you grow up? What were your parents pushing you to do? Did you like school? All that good stuff. Think classic 80s nerd. And that was me. <laughs> Perfect. I Love have it in Star my mind. Trek, chess camp. Excelled at math and science, very loving support of parents who said, if you love math and science, we're going to encourage that and you can do whatever you want. We will support you. Were your parents math and science-y? My dad is a physician okay. and my mother was a teacher, though did get her master's degree in uh, elementary education. Okay. So very much educated from that perspective and wanted their kids to, to be the same. Any siblings? I've got one brother. He went into theater. And my parents were very supportive saying, try it. If it doesn't work after maybe about 15 years, at that point, maybe consider finding something that pays better, but sure, give yeah. it a try. We support you. That's awesome, man. That's really cool. I find that you don't really find that type of mentality, especially you know, in the 80s. You don't find that type of mentality with parents, especially if they were well-educated parents. I think they understood that following your passion is really important to being happy in life. Mm, yeah. And happiness is a much better measurement of success than money in the bank account. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, so when you were coming out of high school, what do you think influenced your decision the most for what was coming after high school in terms of your college career? I became interested in physics when I was nine because of something my cousin said that just resonated. And I heard, oh, physics, this has some interesting stuff. I want to do physics. I also wound up taking a programming class that my guidance counselor had suggested, and that got me into computer science. So I knew I wanted to study those fields. I double majored in both. At the time, I was still thinking potentially law school and a political career. I minored in political science, but in college, I got turned off from that. Okay, gotcha. But you, and, but you, so you double majored at MIT. That's right. Two majors, then the minor and the masters. So you were really slacking really during that I time. <laughs> I was, I just saw, you know, just, I could have done probably a third degree and I didn't, or a third undergrad, I should say. So I was slacking a bit. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Okay. So uh, college, I, I want to get your perspective on this, Mark, because I mean, I've had such a different variety slew of, of entrepreneurs and consultants and authors and thought leaders that have come on, come on the podcast. And, and we talk about this, you know, pretty frequently. And I have two kids. They're, they're really small kids. You know, my, my son's two and my, my daughter's going to be five months here pretty quick, but it's still in the back of my mind of, of what, you know, how I'm going to encourage them in their later high school years for what to do after high school. I'm curious to hear your perspective on the value of college for the majority of people and not, not education, right? Like being educated is, is I think an understood necessity of life. And hopefully most people would agree with me on that. But not necessarily, I don't think it necessarily needs to be a formal education through a university for anything 
that you want to do under the sun. So, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it because you obviously have a lot more uh, uh, better context to speak intelligently on this than, than I would. College, I say this as someone who not only attended undergrad and grad school, I've been teaching at MIT and elsewhere for 20 some years. It has its place. And if you're going to a top 20, probably top 50 school, I think there's a lot of value. It's going to teach you, if they do it correctly, teach you how to think, right? I don't use physics anymore, but the lessons I learned in physics, how to think about problems, that has stayed with me and been helpful throughout my career. And most majors, really there are meta lessons in it. They don't do a good job of saying, here's that meta lesson. They hope you figure it out. I think they need to do a better job, but that is valuable. That said, I think college is overused. I think too many people in the middle class just say, oh, college, I'm going to get that college degree because I'm told this is what I have to do to stay middle class or move up. We need to reform our higher educational system in a few different ways. One, I think we need more vocational training. We need more people who are doing, whether it's high-tech manufacturing or even vocational. I know people who got a four-year degree from some top universities and went on and became a secretary. Mm. or became the manager of some local retail store. And those are fine professions, but I don't think the four-year degree, especially for the high five figures, now six figures you're paying, is a good return on the investment. We need vocational training that if you're going to manage a store, learn a little accounting, learn a little HR, learn a little marketing, learn operations and retail and all these other skills. So I think first we need to have more targeted types of education and not this broad-based liberal education has its place, but we have to recognize for many people, targeted education is valuable. Mm. Second, we also have to shift from this model of 18 to 22, learn what you need to do, and then spend the next 40 years working. We have to shift to more of a continuous learning model, whether the expectation is similar to medicine or law that you have continuing credits, as well as probably the expectation that every 10, 15 years, you do a more intensive deep dive. You Mm. might take three or six months to go do some program. Maybe you take a sabbatical from work to do this. Maybe there's special types of grants or scholarships to support that. Society has to say, oh, we understood you left your job at 35 and spent six months doing this. That's normal, not weird. So I think there are a lot of changes the education system needed. Do you, do you think that which one caused the other? Meaning, like, you rewind the clock, right, 30, 40, 50 years, and a lot of those things were true. You could go to college, and if you had a degree, you could land a job at a good company and work there for 30 years and retire with a great pension plan, and that's the whole plan. But it started breaking and falling apart probably because of oversaturation of the degrees, right? So where it makes a bachelor's degree a little bit less valuable. But and, and you're, you're, you're shaking your head a little bit, but I want to finish the question before, before you interject. You know, it could be something like that or something, uh, something else where maybe qualifications of the degree, like it started separating the classes of schools that you go to because this one isn't as valuable as that one, but that one's way more expensive and we can't afford that and we need a scholarship and there's all these other discrepancies and disparities in groups of people that go to quote unquote college because college could mean a variety of different types of education. But, but now the point is that now somebody coming out of college to your point could end up being at a job where they didn't need any of that. And, and now they're wondering what to do with their life and they're 36 looking for a new career and 
the only option is start over at the bottom of some other career field or go back to school to get qualified in something else so that I can maybe, and hopefully I'll like that thing because I didn't like the first thing that I got my degree in this time around. Like, where did it start breaking and what can we do about it now without the system being fixed? Sure. Uh, great question. Uh, I'll note at the end, the third option is to figure out how to pivot. And if you have a strategy, you can pivot effectively to leverage some of your skills. So you're not starting quite from the bottom, mm. but you can actually apply them and start from the middle and just uh, maybe take a step back, a small one, but then move forward. First, I want to challenge, there is an assumption in the question, which is a, a common misconception about this lifetime employment. The working for 30, 40 years for one company, that was true when you were in a union. You worked for General Motors for 40 years and got your gold watch. The lifetime employment myth, I'm not quite sure where it came from, but really we used to change jobs only slightly less often than we do today. In fact, in my uh, friend Jeff Wald's book, The End of Jobs, he really dives into the data and shows this was never the case that we had this true, oh, I'm working for this company forever. People did move around a lot. Hmm. Now, they didn't change professions quite as much. If you were an accountant, you stayed an accountant for 40 years. Hmm. Where this broke down, you have to look at the university system and at how employment has worked, at least in the US. So the university system, really what it does when you get that bachelor's degree in marketing, all that they're doing is they're saying, we are the professors of marketing. We are the marketing experts, people with PhDs. And we have decided if you take this set of classes, we will designate you as having this level of marketing knowledge. You have a bachelor's in marketing. That's it. We just say, you know this much about marketing. We don't say that you're a good marketer. We don't say you're a good employee. Certainly not saying anything about your leadership, your entrepreneurship, how you are as a teammate. We just say, you've proven you know this much about marketing. Now, when we look back, and this is still the case today, when we look back at corporate America, in the 1940s and 50s and mid-century, really what we had then were these hierarchical systems. So you said, hi, I'm a newly, newly minted marketing grad. I say, okay, there's your desk, sit over there in the corner, your boss will tell you what to do, go create this campaign. Yes, sir, go create it. Here you go, sir, what next? Oh, create another campaign? Yes, sir. And you were a little cog in the wheel. You did what you were told and you focused on a very narrow area related to your degree some number of people moved up and maybe they had the skills for management, maybe not, but that was it. When we started to deconstruct the companies, this happened in the 70s, but especially the 80s and 90s. And this is where we had the flattening of the hierarchies. We had the gutting of middle management. We created more dynamic teams. We had people who couldn't just sit in their cubicle waiting to be told what to do. They had to take initiative. They had to work with people in different departments. So the nature of their work began to change. However, the academic system hasn't, still has not caught up to that and probably won't, unfortunately, for another 30 to 40 years. So basically, there's a lot of people coming out with the confidence, almost a false sense of confidence of like, I, you know, I, I deserve this role in this company because this paper says that I'm qualified to do that when in actuality, the person making the decisions at the company is more looking for things like ambition and perseverance and, and work ethic and initiative and leadership and these other qualities that 
aren't really learned in a degree. They're just more, you know, the, the values of a good employee for what somebody's looking for, right? So you have people like Elon Musk and all these other guys, and a couple other guys in Silicon Valley that are coming out and saying like, we don't even re- require college degrees anymore because that's not, that's not the value that we're hiring for at this point. You're exactly right. And feedback that we've gotten at MIT and feedback that I've seen given to other universities from corporations is that they want leadership, team building, communications, networking, negotiation, all these skills that we never teach, right? They're just not taught. Think about networking. We have all heard since we were little kids, oh, networking is so important. Our parents told us, our teachers told us, our professors. Did anyone stop and say, here's how how to actually do it, (laughs) right? They tell us it's important, but they don't bother teaching it to us. And I know when I hire people, I look for raw intelligence because I can't teach someone IQ points. I look for communication. I look for teamwork. I look for someone who's going to tell me I'm wrong. I look for people to take initiative. I look for that drive. And then number six on the list, six, seven way down there, Oh, your technical acumen. Do you actually know whatever role I'm hiring you for? Sure. Because I can teach you knowledge and I'll even burn two months as you're figuring out this new tool or technology. Exactly. I can teach you these traits. And to to me, when when I hire people, it's almost a plus for me if I don't have to unteach you a bunch of bad habits that you're taking with you from your last position. You know what I mean? Like if it's, if especially if it's something that I know how to do pretty well or that I want done a certain way within my company or my organization, like I want to know that you're going to be teachable, not that you're going to come in with a bunch of pride thinking that you know how to do everything and this is how you're going to get it done and blah, blah, blah. Like I, I, I would way rather have that teachable, ambitious, you know, ex-Starbucks barista that just wants to come in and learn and work and do their best and take initiative and become a integral part of the company because someone like that, they're going to stick with me a lot longer. You know what I mean? They're going to value the relationship with uh, authorities in the company or mentors in the, in the company. They're not going to complain as much. They're not going to whine as much. They're not, like I said, they're not bringing in outside bad habits. They're not bringing in poor mindsets and mentalities from past experiences that have told them that this thing is you know, not the way that they thought it was going to be. It's almost a plus in some scenarios. And now I'll note, I said in my last comment, I can't teach you these traits. That means I, as your manager, don't have the time to invest in teaching you this. I can Mm -hmm. teach you the knowledge because most people, I know how long it takes to acquire the knowledge. So, okay, it'll take this long. How long is it going to take you to learn these skills? I don't know. For some people, they pick it up quickly, some longer. I can't take that risk as an employer. As an educator, I can tell you very much all of these skills are learnable. One of my favorite books, Olivia Fox Caban's The Charisma Myth. Charisma, we think you either either have it or you don't. But in fact, it is a learnable skill. You can Mm. learn to be charismatic. You can learn to be a leader. You can learn to be a good networker or negotiator or communicator. So you can invest and change and develop these skills. They're going to make you much more employable or if you're an entrepreneur, much more effective in your job. So in the meantime, right, there's everybody, I don't know a single person who would disagree with the idea that our, there's, there's some reform that needs to happen with education in the country from you know, higher education all the way down to grade school. But in the meantime, what do we do about that? It, when the system's still broken, how does an 18, 19, 20, 21 year old make decisions that are going to help them learn those skills that they're not going to learn in a university classroom? What I did, because I faced this very prospect when I was fresh out of school, I said, I want to become a CTO. 
I thought about what is it that I need to be qualified as a CTO? Well, I should know something about technology. Okay, great. In fact, I'm actually a worse programmer today than I was 20 years ago because I'm not writing code anymore. But I knew back then there were other skills that were going to be necessary that I knew nothing about. Leadership, hiring, creating effective teams, communicating with people in different departments, taking these technical ideas, making them understand it. I never learned any of this. So I had to set out and teach myself these skills. And what we can all do in our plans, whether you're looking to be a corporate employee or whether you're looking to create your own role and create your own company, think about in this role in the future, five, 10, 20 years down the road, what is it you need to be successful in that role? Mm -hmm. And if you're not sure, yeah, look at job descriptions, but also talk to people in that role or near that role and ask them. Because a lot of job descriptions, honestly, they don't tell you half of what it takes to be successful in the role. Create that list of skills. Now, you're not going to learn them all tomorrow. You backtrack from there. To get to this role, what are the skills I need? When am I going to learn them? I'll learn this in year two, this in year four. What are the milestones I need to achieve? So, for example, if you want to be the vice president of sales, at some point, you probably need to have opened up some new territories. You're going to have to do that as a VP of sales. They'll want to see that on the track record. Okay, so maybe sometime between years eight and 12, you're going to find a job that lets you develop new territories. Check that off the box. Mm. So start from that goal, backtrack with these skills, and you can do so by reading content like the book I wrote, listening to podcasts like this one, taking courses. But here is the secret to learning these things. This is very different than knowledge. If you want to learn a new programming language, if you want to learn marketing, you can read a book. You can listen to a blog post. Say, okay, marketing, you know, the four Ps, great. Here's how to write an effective email header. You just gather that information and then you apply it. But when it comes to these other skills, communication and leadership, there's no simple do this and you're a leader. Mm. There's no three steps to effective communication. There's lots of different techniques and they're all applicable in different circumstances. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you gather this content, you want to create a peer learning group. This is how we teach at MIT. This is how top business schools teach it. And so create this group. You can do so in your organization. If you are an entrepreneur, you can set this up. If you don't have your organization supporting this, find other people, create a local meetup group, find just other people interested in these topics, create these local groups, I recommend small groups around six to eight people, but there are ways you can do it at 20 or 100 people. Take some great content. You can take my book and you can chop it up and say, we're going to read half a chapter at a time and discuss it. If you don't want to use my book, I list other great books. Pick your favorite business book. Use great podcasts like this one. And each time you listen to an episode, discuss, ask each other, hey, what about this? Have you been in the situation? How would you deal with this? Oh, that's interesting. It's different than how I would deal with it. And that's going to help you create a richer understanding of these complex skills. And if you do that, you're going to have a much faster accelerated learning. And once you start exploring these skills, what you're going to find is you'll recognize opportunities right in front of you you never saw before. Say, wow, there are great opportunities to network every day. Or here's an opportunity, here's an opportunity to lead that I didn't see until I thought about it this way. And that's going to accelerate your learning and development. Yeah, love love that advice. Um, and I find it just, it's just so interesting that even at MIT, you still walked away without the skills necessary 
to tackle a CTO position. Like this is one of the best schools in the entire country. And you're still leaving going like, okay, now what additional skills do I need to learn to actually do the job that I'm trying to get out of, you know, out of, out of my time in school. And, uh, and I think that that is one of, there's a lot of great disciplines that school instills in people, but one of the ones I think that it lacks is the self-education piece. Because uh, kind of to your point earlier, the way that culture makes it seem is that, okay, you educate yourself for the first 20 years of your life, and then you work for the next 40 years of your life, and then you retire. Instead of like, no, you're educating yourself your entire life. <laughs> you should always be educating yourself. There should always be a new thing that you're learning or a new book that you're reading or a new experience that you're having or a furthering of your, of your comfort zone. There, there should always be something that you're doing. Like once you graduate, that's just the beginning of education, not the end of education. And I think that sometimes those formal education environments can... Uh, can discourage the self-education piece of it because maybe you're learning about things that you have no desire to learn about and you've almost taught yourself, you know, psychologically that learning is not fun. So then you leave and then you're like, man, I'm never opening another book again. I'm never doing another book report again. I'm never, you know, I'm never going to do a group discussion again because I'm just so sick of it. And it creates this like weird, you know, almost culture that makes learning not fun and almost a little poisonous to your like mental health. And so I, I appreciate you bringing up that point and saying that like, no, 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 this is, this is now paramount to your success in your career. Cause, cause now a lot of people have bachelor degrees and a lot of people have bachelor degrees from good schools. So what's going to be the thing that sets you apart for this position if you really want it in the future. And that's going to be those, those other skills, those other skills that you can't necessarily really learn that much in a classroom. And you can go take organizational leadership classes, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the way to learn it is by doing it and by doing it a lot and, and, and gathering that experience. And a lot of times, a lot of times those are the skills that end up paying you the most too, you know, because, because they are, I think a little bit more difficult and maybe not as measurable to learn. Uh, and so the people who master those types of skills are usually the ones who have a, you know, a C at the beginning of their title um, and uh, intend to, to, you know, master something later on down the road or end up in a position in their career that they wanted to end up in. You did note that you know, sometimes there could be a problem where the professors, the teachers say, well, this is what you need to learn that can turn people off. I will credit them with, there's a reason that they have selected this particular content. Unfortunately, that doesn't always become clear to the students. Mm. So let's take geometry. We all learn geometry in high school. And most people say, why do I ever learn geometry? When am I going to need to know English? And the answer is, unless you're an engineer, <laughs> never. But the reason we teach geometry to everyone is because those two-column proofs you did, that is basic reasoning and logic. Mm. And if you actually learned it well, then fortunately most Americans didn't, they could say, okay, well, given X, we know this is true and this is true and this is true and we wind up at Y. And this would be true in public policy, in economic decisions and mm. business decisions, even in her relationships. We could figure this out, but people don't learn. They just say, boring math. I don't want to take it. They tune it out. They never get that lesson. And so they don't get the meta lesson. They don't take that away. Yeah. And I think the instructors, are, they have good reasons. They have to make those reasons much clearer to yeah. the students at both the primary and secondary school levels and at the college and university level. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that insight. And thank you for, for bringing that up. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. 
we are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. I, I do want to talk about your book for a second. You mentioned it um, a second ago, and uh, it's in the video behind you there, the Career Toolkit. Can you give us, um, I find most people that write a book tend to have a moment or a realization that caused them to write the book? Because I mean, writing a book is, as you know, not a small task. It takes up a very long portion of your time, especially if you're doing it the right way and filling it with a ton of research and, and end notes and all that good stuff. So what was the catalyst for you? And what are, you know, what's like the one thing that you want the majority of your readers to take away from that? For many years, we've had this class at MIT that I mentioned where we got the feedback from corporations saying, these are the skills we want, but we can't find. And MIT took that to heart. And I happened to be teaching these skills inside the company I was at. So I reached out to MIT and said, I hear you're working on it. Can I help? So I helped develop the class and I've been mm -hmm. teaching for 20 years. During the last 10 or so, maybe even a little longer, I've said, we know it's not just MIT students who need this. It's not even just engineers. How do we expand this to other schools? And MIT has always been great about giving away our content. Before Coursera, before anything else, MIT created OpenCourseWare. We put all our courseware online mm -hmm. and that layer became EDX. Because we said what makes MIT great isn't that we have some magic formulas no one else knows. Let's give it away. Let's help all the people who can't afford or get to MIT. Mm. So I tried to get MIT to take our content from this class and put it online to share with others. For various reasons, we just didn't have the time and resources to do that. So it's been festering for a while. And I also said we need to, I think write up some notes because the class is very hands-on interactive. I'd love to put more just notes online for the students. So about two years ago, it was 2019, I was spending a lot of time traveling on planes and hotels. So I had that downtime. 
said, you know what, I'm just going to write up the notes for the class. I have time now, no one else is doing it. And I really thought I was writing about 20 pages of notes. That was my initial intent. But 20 pages quickly became 50, became 100. So I say, well, you know, maybe this is actually a book. And this is how I get out to other people. Yeah, and that's, right. that's how it happened. It was not intentional. Happy accident, though. Yes, quite happy. <laughs> so who, who is this intended for? And what's the number one thing that you'd want them to take away? The readers, the primary group tend to be readers from 20 to 40. So those just graduating school, finishing up school through the earlier part of their career. Although I regularly get people in their 40s and 50s saying, I wish I knew this earlier about networking or leading or any of these other skills. So they're the people I tend to target. Also, a lot of HR and executives, they like to get this book and give it out to their team. Because when you get your whole team to read it, now these skills, it's not just you, it's your whole team who has them. You also give your team a common language. People can talk about the elephant analogy, right? They can talk about here are the four types of communication in that one example. And so you get that common language that also you get that tailwind, but it's really about creating these skills. So here's the takeaway. Here's what I want you to learn about these skills. Think about, I mean, I give the example of negotiations. So imagine you are 25 years old, you get some job, they offer you $60,000, but you learned a little about negotiations. You read a book, took a couple classes. So you go and negotiate and you ask for $1,000 more. So instead of 60,000, you get 61,000. Okay, that's a pretty simple negotiation. We can all imagine that. If you do nothing else, if you sit in this job for 40 years, what happened? You just made $1,000 more for the next 40 years. You just got $40,000 from one single five-minute negotiation, right? That's massive. Now, of course, you're not going to sit in one job. You're going to get other promotions and raises. And later on, you might be negotiating with customers and suppliers. You, of course, negotiate all the time internally with coworkers, and you're more effective at that. If you learn to negotiate, it's not about being a world-class negotiator. You're not being some FBI hostage negotiator. You're not solving the Middle East peace crisis. You're just negotiating slightly better. You can literally add hundreds of thousands of dollars to your lifetime earnings. Mm. Now, I picked negotiations. I picked a financial example because that's easy. You go, oh, $1,000 more. Here's the math. If you get slightly better at leadership, no one's going to say, here's $1,000 more, but they are going to say, let's get Travis on that project. Yeah. He's a good leader. We should get him involved. You're going to get the promotion. You're going to get the job. Each of these skills, if you get incrementally better, not becoming a master, but just getting a little bit better, it has a massive ROI on your entire career. Or if you do it with your team, your entire team or organization. So don't worry about trying to become world-class. Spend a little time, all the time you spend getting better at technology, if you're in my field, or accounting, if you're an accountant, take a little of that time and get better at leadership, communicating, networking, negotiating. That's going to have a massive ROI. So wherever you are right now, you guys know, whenever we recommend a book on the show, I always tell you, pick it up right now because you're going to forget if you don't. So unless you're driving, then stop whatever you're doing right now and uh, pull your phone out and order a copy of the Career Toolkit uh, from Mark. I know that you will not be disappointed if you pick that up. And uh, one of the things he talks about, which you've heard him mention a couple of times, is the entire reason for this show's existence, which is networking. And to your point, Mark, you know, I, and when I was done with college, uh, this was one of those things where 
I realized I didn't have anybody. Like I, I realized that I wanted to to build a business and be an entrepreneur and and uh, make millions of dollars and all that kind of stuff. And I realized that after I was done with college, and I realized I had zero people in my network that I could ask questions about getting to that level uh, to. And thought, hey, that's probably a problem. So uh, how do I figure that out? And that's kind of where this podcast came about. Um, that's all about networking relationships. And now we're at almost six hundred episodes. You know, I've interviewed hundreds of people, which has done absolute wonders for for my network and the the people now I've been able to bring to bring onto the show and have conversations with that are, you know, personal friends and mentors and and uh, people that have enriched my life and made it a, a much better version of what it was before the podcast existed. And so, you know, you're preaching preaching to the choir with with uh, with some of these uh, some of these topics here. So, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about that here before we before we close. The question that I ask everybody before we talk about networking uh, to kind of get the conversation moving in the right direction is this, who you know or what you know, Mark, which of those two do you view as being the more valuable asset in life and why? I don't think you can look at as one or the other. Here's the analogy I use when I open the book. Imagine you have a rectangle. We're going to do a little bit of math here. This, this is where that sixth grade math comes back. See, it was you <laughs> yeah. after all. Imagine you have a rectangle that's four by 10. You have to increase one of the sides by two units to maximize the area. So do you go 10 to 12 or four to six? So if you think about it a second, the answer is you go four to six, right? Increase that short side that maximizes the area. Okay, so what does that have to do with any of this? What you're doing conceptually, when you're going from four to six, you're taking those two extra units on the short side and you are amplifying them by that long side. Those two units get amplified 10 times. If you put it on the long side, those two units only get amplified four times. Mm. All of us have multiple sides. Now we are deep in some area, right? For me, it's technology. For others, it might be medicine, marketing. That is our area where compared to most people, we stand out. But if you are super long and thin, if you're just this great expert, but you don't know how to communicate it well, you don't know how to work with others, you're gonna be this really thin rectangle. You're gonna have just a little bit of area. But if you can increase that short side and become a better communicator, teammate, leader, whatever, you become so much more effective. That's another way to think about why you want to invest in some of these other skills. Mm -hmm. Networking is one of these skills. If I am some great master, but no one knows about me and I can't make people aware of me, then I am dead in the water. Mm -hmm. If I have a massive network, so that short side, that four is now 400, but I'm really thin. I'm only a two on the other side because I don't have any real skills. I just know lots of people. Again, I'm a really thin rectangle. It's only when you have that balance, when you have some depth, some skill, some value, but then you can amplify it by that other side. In this case, networking, that's where you get the most value. Perfect answer. Love that. I, I want to finish off with just a quick story from you. Sometime in your life, where maybe a connection that you made that you didn't think anything of at the time ended up turning into something that was really big for you, an opportunity or a cool relationship or a really good friendship or something like that that happened when you just had no idea that it was going to happen and zero intention of it happening, but it just happened. When I first moved to New York, I didn't know many people and a coworker said, oh, a friend gets people together every so often. So I went and this was at a Friday night uh, museum kind of happy hour. I'm at the event and I had had a bad day. So I just wasn't in a very social mood. I was standing by myself. He saw me, he's like, oh, let me introduce you to a couple guys. So I go over, I start chatting to a few guys. And this woman walks up. She had clearly spoke to them earlier. She said, hey, I just wanna let you know I'm leaving. It was nice meeting you all. 
shakes each of their hands, turns to me and says, I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to meet. My name is Olivia Fox Caban. Hopefully we can meet again in the future, shakes my hand. She then says, oh, you have a really good handshake. Turns back to the previous guy and starts correcting his handshake that wasn't as good. <laughs> and I give her this look because that's kind of a forward thing to do. Yeah. She says, oh no, this is what I do for a living. So no, well, I'm really curious because in my class at MIT, we occasionally bring in people to teach networking. And that includes, we'll do some tactical stuff on handshakes and drinks and name tags at social events. And so instead of leaving, she and I started talking. We spent 45 minutes talking. We became very good friends. We started hosting events together. This is my friend, Olivia Fox Caban, who I mentioned earlier, who wrote The Charisma Myth. Through her, I then got introduced to the Renaissance Weekend Group, not Renaissance Fairs. This is more akin to TED Talks. Through the Renaissance Weekend Group, I have met amazing people. In fact, many of the people who helped me get this book out are people I met through that. So this one tiny handshake, just because she took the time to shake my hand before she left, we connected, we met, we became very good friends. And through her, I've met so many other wonderful connections. So you never know where a handshake will lead. The most important three words in that entire story, I think, was at the very beginning when you said, so I went. That's half of that's half of the work right there, man. That's just that's the thing that a lot of people aren't willing to do, especially nowadays. It's so much easier to just Netflix and chill rather than just go. Just go do the thing. Just show up. So I went. Like that's it. You didn't feel like going. You you in fact had a bad day and probably would have liked to not go and be around a bunch of people that you didn't know. But you went anyway, and it turned into something amazing. And that that's why that's why I love talking about networking and try to bring a bunch of awareness to it because especially for guys like guys like you, guys like me who who tend to think more analytically and like to look at numbers. Networking is not one of those things that that makes sense on paper. Like if you look at it, there, there, you can't track a measurable ROI from your time ahead of time. Now looking back, you can't, right? Looking back, you can connect all the dots and go, man, I'm glad I spent my time that way. But looking forward, you have no idea what's going to come out of an event or a handshake or meeting or an opportunity. Like you have no idea if it's going to benefit you in six months or if it's going to benefit you in 15 years or if it's not going to benefit you at all. But that's kind of the beauty of doing it is just getting out and being okay and comfortable with the fact that you don't know exactly how this is going to come back on you, but it's going to eventually. Um, and so I appreciate appreciate that final story. Let's go ahead and dive into the last segment. Just some fun, quick, random questions, quick, random answers. You ready? Ready to go. What profession other than your own do you think that it would just be fun to attempt? I think it would be fun to be a voiceover artist. That's funny. I was just talking to a voiceover artist like right before I hopped on a call with you. <laughs> If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be? It would probably be Dickens or Gandhi. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Interactive. I mentioned earlier going to Renaissance weekends. And there it's just going from one panel to the other and having lunch with fascinating people and having interactive discussions. And that's really how I learn best. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Waking up and thinking, why can't mornings be later? I am not a morning person, so there's not much of a routine. <laughs> I hear you on that one. <laughs> what is your go-to pump-up song? I don't have a single song, but I will say back when we were all going to gyms and I would be on the elliptical machine, on my playlist, the songs that really got me going, 
I was a competitive ballroom dancer throughout my 20s. No way. So it wasn't just the high energy songs, even if it's a good foxtrot or what most people think of as a slower song. In my head, I'm running through the routines and that just gets me going. What is something that you are just not very good at? Reading people in a non-professional setting. In a professional setting, I can read people, understand their motivations, their interests. In a social setting, I am nearly blind. <laughs> As we get everything wrapped up here, Mark, what's one place online where you want our listeners to go connect with you the most? Go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. And there you can learn about the book, download the free app, get resources, learn how to create these learning groups, learn about other great books, all of this at thecareertoolkitbook.com. Thecareertoolkitbook.com. Be sure to go check that out. Like I said, pick it up now, guys. You're going to forget. Go pick it up now. I promise you won't regret it. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. I had a blast chatting with you. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.